Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. We are David and Tracy Sellers, and we have made Vows to Keep. What are your kids involved in right now? This last year, our oldest two kids had their first year in Bible quizzing. Now, a lot of people aren't familiar with Bible quizzing, Tracy, so let me give a little bit of a lowdown. Teams study a book, a passage really of the Bible, and then compete locally and regionally against other teams. Now, our kids have tried a lot of different activities over the years, like basketball and soccer, but this one really stuck in their hearts. They studied for hours, didn't they, David? It was crazy. And their team ended up placing in the regional competition. I sat in that parent section and watched their focus and concentration and determination to have that correct answer. And I really couldn't have been more proud of them. Yeah, they excelled in so many ways. And of course, we wanted to do everything we could to help them succeed even more. You ever been there? Your daughter gets the A in algebra that she's worked so hard for. Your son challenges himself to read through the Bible in a year and he accomplishes his goal. Your favorite sports team wins the championship. Your nephew gets engaged after years of searching for the right girl. Pride. It's a good feeling that makes your heart swell. But I think a lot of us have a harder time taking pride in something that we've done. We tend to blow off the praise that someone else might give to us when we've met a big goal in our lives. Last year, for example, I painted the interior of our house and boy, did it need it. It hadn't been painted since it was built about 20 years ago. I wasn't able to do the vaulted ceiling part, but I spent weeks and weeks of the summer finishing that task. I felt good about it. It wasn't easy, but I knew I worked hard. This is a different kind of pride than the chest swelling kind that comes in watching our kids succeed. It's more like a sense of accomplishment. But even in our achievements, we often compare ourselves to others. Did I pick the right color? You did. What about those spots on the wall that I know aren't right? Like every time I look at them, I see them. I never see them. Someone else could probably have done a much better job. It's human thoughts that come so naturally to us. Paul mentions a couple times in his letters, like in Galatians and Romans, that when we evaluate ourselves, it shouldn't be an apples to apples comparison. Instead, he says we need to do it with sober judgment. What does that mean? That means that if we're going to assess ourselves at all, we should do it through the lens, as Paul puts it in Romans 12, 3, with the measure of faith that God has given us. I like that, David, because it helps keep perspective. And perspective is quickly thrown out the window in the face of what I would call destructive pride. That kind of pride is not the sense of accomplishment we have in a mission or watching someone we love succeed. No, that's the kind of pride that destroys, the kind that lays waste to our relationships, the kind of pride that God opposes That's the kind that annihilates any remaining humility and it affects our souls before we're even born. Yeah, we're talking about the pride that has your marriage in its grip. You and I today, we need to have a discussion about this destructive pride. Our individual hearts need it. Our marriages need it. Not one of us speaking or listening today can avoid this sin that's called pride that each of us are born with like a genetic disease. So are we saying today, David, that we all have the sin of pride? Absolutely, we are. In our pride, though, we don't want to admit that we're prideful. How ironic. But it will be something each of us will wrestle with until the day 
we die. Why is that? Well, let me take a moment to give a little background on that. It starts with pointing out something that many of you have heard many times. None of us are sin-free. We know that. Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. You've probably heard in some sermon somewhere that pride was the stumbling block for Adam's sin. It was the sin that led him to disobey God. It was in his arrogance that Adam felt he knew better than God. You see where I'm going here? It's that destructive pride that led to the fall of mankind. And it's not just Adam. You and I are infected with the same ailment that poisons our hearts from the day of our birth. Kind of a big deal, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) There are three infirmities of pride that we're going to delve into today on Vows to Keep Radio. They are part of the sin disease that you and I are both born with and we bring into our marriages. Now, if you're taking notes or even just mental notes, here are the three infirmities that I'm talking about. The first is self-reliance. The second is self-sufficiency. And the third is self-righteousness. Let me say that again. The first is self-reliance, then self-sufficiency, and finally self-righteousness. These are the sin sicknesses that infect our lives and our marriages. It's really interesting though, David. We try to excuse our pride. I know I do. We try to cover it up. We try to replace it with something that seems a little less obtrusive to others, but in the end, we're still suffering from it. So we've learned to live with it. In fact, instead of trying to weed it out and pull it up by the roots out of our lives, we decided to normalize it. Generation after generation has made it not only standard fare to limp around with pride's crippling effects, we now celebrate pride's cultural mutations. Instead of going to the cure and eradicating it from our lives, In the laboratory of our culture, we have bred new and more hideous malfunctions in this universal sin and embraced it as if it was something that every person should have, or at very least, have the right to. So this immobilizing infirmity of sin called pride is probably the sin we most need to talk about. Here on Vows to Keep Radio, we go to God's Word to learn and change in a lot of different areas of marriage. We talk about communication, finances, forgiveness, lust. We talk about unconditional love, among many other things. But at the core of most of these marital sin issues is pride. But I don't think it gets the attention it needs because not one of us in our pride wants to admit that we're prideful. I'm the most humble person you'll ever meet, David. That's the running joke, right? But oh, how true, how true. We are such great self-deceivers, aren't we? I know I am. Yeah, I can spot someone else's sin like a mile away. Here, let me help you with your little teeny sin. Oh, this log in my eye? Yeah, well, it's been there for like 20 years. I like my log. My log is actually accepted by all my peers. My log is my friend. If you separated me from my log, I wouldn't be me anymore. So no, no thanks, I'll keep my log. But lean in a little closer, will you, so I can help you out with that spec? Are you ready to get better? Are you tired of limping around? Tired of letting pride win the day and rob you of God's best? I am. So let's travel to the doctor's office today then, shall we? Admitting all the way that we have some things that need to be laid out on the table in full view of the great physician. Let's start the process to healing by taking that first step, making the appointment to see the good doctor. Then by taking the prescription that he gives, swallowing the truth that we are indeed sick with pride and we need what only he can offer. If you're willing to do that, you've entered into the cure phase of this illness. Without knowing it, you're ready to swallow your first dose of life-giving humility. 
As David mentioned earlier, the three infirmities of pride that we're going to discuss in this two-part series on Vows to Keep Radio are self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and self-righteousness. So let's talk about that first one today. Let's define it. The pride sin of self-reliance, which is really trusting in my own abilities, my own efforts. Self-reliance causes me to believe that I'm in control, or at least things would be better off if I was in control. And how did I get to be in control? Well, I put myself there, of course. Why? Because I think I know best. The first step down this dangerous road of control is not me being controlling with my spouse or my kids. No, that actually comes later. It begins somewhere else. It begins in the deep places of my heart that no one else can see. The sin of self-reliance starts with an exchange in my heart of who's on the throne of my life. It's a sometimes subtle progression of me not trusting God to really take care of this particular situation. So I step in and I try to help. It ends up not working out the way I want. So I step in a little more the next time and a little more the next to achieve my desired result. And before I know it, I've completely usurped God and his position on the throne of my life. I now preside in command over everything. I've got the reins because I don't trust God to do a good enough job to provide for me. And this is where it deviates from being something that takes place where only me and God can see what's happening. My firmest beliefs have shifted and my pride of self-reliance begins to leak into my marriage. It affects my wife. It affects your husband. I see certain goals that I desire for our life together or for our relationship, and I desperately want those goals to be met. God seems to be sitting on the sidelines. He's he's clearly not doing what I think he should, and I'm tired of waiting for him to do something. So you know what? I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to take charge of this so that the desire that I want will be produced. Here's a scenario you might be familiar with in your own life. Betty and Bob are on different wavelengths completely when it comes to physical fitness and sports. Bob likes to come home after a hard day at his job and sit down, put his feet up and watch the sports he loves best. Betty wants to get the dog on the leash, the baby in the stroller and go for a hike around the neighborhood. She wants that time to connect and Bob's just not getting it. So what does Betty do? She starts to have some confidence in her own self-reliance. Well, if he's not going to come, I guess I'll just go do it by myself. Or maybe I'll try to bribe, manipulate, and guilt him into coming with me in the end. Has there been a slow usurping of the throne in your life in maybe some of these little areas? Have you quietly or maybe not so quietly taken over God's job in your life? Here's how you can know if this is describing you today. Ask yourself, what am I not willing to do without That's a fair question, Tracy. Sometimes, though, our self-reliance is actually not a slow progression over time. Sometimes we decide to reign sovereign in one fell swoop. A bankruptcy is imminent. Your husband's alcohol problem is at an all-time high. You just miscarried a baby, and all of a sudden, you draw the line. Strong and sudden. You've trusted God. You've believed in Him, and this is how He's going to repay you? You figured he's been doing a pretty bad job. And you know what? You've had it with this mismanagement of your life. In the end, it's the same result as someone who gradually tries to seize God's position little by little. You're now on the throne. You're now calling the shots. It's easy to be deceived about whether or not we are in this pride sin of self-reliance because we vacillate between needing God and thinking, 
I've got everything under control. It's amazing how quickly we can go from keeping God at arm's length to then swinging all the way the other way and crying out to him and asking him for his help, asking him for his wisdom and intervention. Do you swing on this pendulum like I do? I'm good, God. I'll I'll just sail through the day and get back to you on Sunday for that obligatory hour. And then your wife doesn't agree with you on something, something you really feel strongly about, you really feel like you need. And then all of a sudden, God is the candy dispensing genie in the sky put there to grant your wishes. A scary life-altering symptom of this sin disease called pride is that it changes our view of God and it puts his character into question. And if we've come up with a new description of God in our hearts, a God who we don't really trust, a God who doesn't have our best interests at heart, a God who answers to us, then we aren't going to go to God's word for our source of life and to light the path that we're on. We've convinced ourselves that we are our own source of light. And if we happen to trip and fall, we can just get back up ourselves without any help. We've begun to believe the lie that we can provide for ourselves anything and everything that we may need. We've not only pushed God out, but also our spouse. We don't need God's hand-me-downs anymore. We don't need, or should I say, want our spouse's input on anything. What I arrange for myself, my comfort, my future, my pleasure, my security is better. No, it's better than that. It's best. I want to reinforce, Tracy, what you just said. When you no longer want the input of your spouse, when you no longer feel you need to go to God in prayer for the decisions that are before you, that is a scary place to be because with pride comes ungratefulness. You don't even realize that you should be praising God for his provision. In fact, you no longer even see your spouse as his provision. And when we stop remembering where those blessings come from, we actually look to be praised ourselves. We seek the accolades of others. This actually can be kind of a weird thing in a marriage because it puts a burden on your spouse to always feel like they have to give you the warm fuzzies that you're looking for. When we don't think that God will give us his best, that our best is in fact better, we have the pride symptom of not trusting. John Piper says, faith rests in God to shape the best future for us. So in your marriage, what's the future that you're desiring? What's your goal? Your pride, my pride, it's taking a toll on our marriages. It's taking a toll on those goals. So ask yourself this, how has my need to be in control to get what I want affected my marriage today? How about yesterday? How about last month? How about last year? Has my need for control in the big stuff or maybe in the little things caused my spouse and I to be closer? Or are we more isolated from each other? Do my children, maybe my grandchildren, see that I have a big need to be in control? The bottom line is this. Pride's a sin, and sin has deep and has severe consequences. It's harder to see when you're talking about self-reliance. It's, it's hard because being in control for the moment many times seems to be better than it would be had you not been in control. Are you believing today that when you're in control, you'll be happy because you'll get what you want? Or maybe you're not thinking of it in those terms at all. You've flip-flopped your reasoning. Try this on for size. If my husband is in control, I won't get what I want. I'll be unhappy at the expense of his happiness. So in order to preserve myself, I need to take control. You've experienced the displeasure of a desire unfulfilled. You've known the feeling of sacrificing. Your ambitions remain undeveloped because you haven't been in the saddle. So the obvious solution would be to grab the reins, right? Or maybe as a husband, you're thinking, man, pride is manly. If I give that up, I'll be less of a man. 
In fact, you know what? I need to be more manly. So I'm going to be more in control of my life. If my wife makes a decision or doesn't agree with me, am I less of a man? Now, I bet if we took a moment to get real with God, to get real with ourselves, we'd see that our pride hasn't purchased for us the life we thought it would. Pride is sin, and we are living with the penalties of this infirmity every day in our homes. And your search for happiness make you even hold on to your Christian principles. You're not out there finding a divorce lawyer. You're not sleeping around. You're not swearing at your wife. You're still following all the big rules that God gives. But in your heart, you're slowly coming into a place of power in your home, which bleeds into the second infirmity of pride, self-sufficiency. And out comes the old standby. I am in charge of our family. It is my way or the highway. Our self-reliance goes hand in hand with our self-sufficiency. So join us next week on Vows to Keep Radio as we're going to finish up this series on the three infirmities of pride. But we can't leave you today without expounding on what we've already touched on. God's got a no-fail cure for this particular form of pride. This pride that exists within almost every marriage, in every home, in some shape or form. So what is that cure? What is the antidote? These three words that we're going to say to you may be familiar to your ears, but they might be a foreign concept to your heart. Listen to this. God is sovereign. Believe it. Accept it. Rejoice in it. And let the healing bandage of humility cover the ache that's so deep inside of you to be in control, to be self-reliant. In his sovereignty, God asked two things of me. He asked me to trust and he asked me to submit. Now, those two words can bring either great comfort or great distaste, depending on the current state of affairs in our hearts. Loving the fact that God is sovereign is so easy to say, but it's so hard to do in the moment, right? Let me tell you this story. All three of our kids were NICU babies. They all had severe issues at birth, and I had severe issues in pregnancy. We were not planning on number four, but here he came. My doctor thought it was a death sentence for me. Oh, it was such a rough time. I remember that season well. I didn't understand what God was doing because he knew how sick I got when I was pregnant and he knew how sick my babies were. I didn't know what to make of it. And then the day came when I knew I was miscarrying my child. I wanted to be in control at that moment. I did not like the fact that God was sovereign. I was very angry and very hurt and I stopped trusting God. That lack of trust in him hardened my heart in one instant. I drew the line in the sand. I said no to what I thought was God's mismanagement of my life. That was about 10 years ago, and it still hurts. In fact, I am struggling not to cry right now. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You've been through hard things like that, things that don't make sense to our human minds. But we're given a choice. Trust ourselves or trust God. I began to lean on my own understanding, and I was very well aware of that. I was not acknowledging God, and my heart became a twisted, dried-up root of bitterness. It was my one fell swoop moment where I took my trust of God and I placed it in me instead. It was my moment of usurping. And when my trust was taken off God and his goodness, my submission to him and his word was still kind of there, but it wasn't like it was. It used to be him and I, heart to heart, close, the way we should be. I held God off at arm's length and something really scary happened. I became my own provider. It took over a year for me to get back to the place of my heart where I was even willing to say that God was in charge and I trusted him. But when I did that, I experienced something incredible, a time of tremendous spiritual growth. When I submitted to him, he began to teach me about himself, about his faithfulness, his goodness, his justice, and his mercy. 
There have been many more situations since then that have tested David and I's reliance on God. But trust me, this isn't just in the big stuff that we're talking about. It's even the little things like my own personal comfort in a situation like when we're driving in the car. Like I'm burning up and everyone else is cold, but I'm the one in control of all those buttons. Or the decision about what our family is going to do for the weekend. Or choosing to wear an outfit that I love, but that my husband really isn't that crazy about. Will I, will you, take the cure for our self-reliant sin sickness called pride? Believing that God is sovereign, submitting to Him, and trusting in Him. Will we trust that God is more than able to work out His good plans for our lives? That He is like a gajillion times a better provider than I could ever be. And in trusting Him, believing that His loving, faithful character is unchanging and never failing, will I bow my knee in submission to Him? Will I let other people state their opinion about dinner or whatever it may be while withholding my own? Will I let my husband be the head of our household, knowing that even if he makes a mistake, even a big one, that God is still in control and that God will provide? Will I listen to my wife's advice and read God's counsel in his word when as the head of our household there's a decision to make or a road that we need to head down? Remember this today. God wants you to walk in his wisdom because it trumps our pride of self-reliance every single time. 1 Corinthians 1 talks about the wisdom of God. It says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. 1 Corinthians 1.30 closes by saying, God has united you with Christ Jesus. He's united you with that wisdom. And for our benefit, God made Jesus to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. He has freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. As we close today on Vows to Keep Radio, I want to read to you part of that famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, as I read these verses, I always have a hard time because I feel like I fall so short. Even in the first few words that say, love is patient, love is kind, love is not proud, yikes. That certainly doesn't describe me very much. But here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to read four verses from this chapter. And as I do, I don't want you to picture your shortcomings. Instead, view these words in light of who God is and how he loves you. It says that love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. It's in this perspective that we can come under God's authority and under his sovereignty. Like what you heard today on Vows to Keep Radio? Listen to more life-changing broadcasts at VowsToKeep.com. Since God is not only all-powerful, but also is kind and faithful, then He's trustworthy. Since God is not only omniscient, all-knowing, but He's also patient with our failures, a God who doesn't give up on us, then He's trustworthy. Since God is not only the righteous judge who deals justly, but also the one who keeps no record of being wronged, I can trust Him with the deepest, realest parts of who I am. Love is not proud, these verses say in 1 Corinthians 13. We can see that God is not proud. How could he be and still be all those other things to us? I can so clearly see that pride and love cannot exist together. 
But isn't that what I demand in my pride when I say with my words and actions, you better love me despite my pride? Pride always pushes the other person away. Pride cripples the love that's between a husband and a wife, a God and his daughter, God and his son. Humility, trust, and submission are God's no-fail cure to heal our sin sickness. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.